0: Um, He took my introduction, so I guess I'm going to possibly repeat what he said. Um, I am a uh, youth pastor, and we've been coming here since pretty much the first day that uh, this uh, church began. And uh, um, I think a lot of people are in that situation where they were sort of coming here the first day, and they were checking out the church, and they might have been involved in another church. And... Had various roots in different churches, and so myself and my wife April uh, have been coming, and uh, we have two kids, Ezekiel or Zeke, we call them, and uh, Lexi, and they're in there probably creating problems in there, but they're great kids nonetheless. And um, yeah, uh, during the time of transition, I call it a transition, uh, we've eventually made a decision that we're going to be coming here on a full time. Uh, permanent basis. So, yay! Um, we really love it here, and it's been great. Um, oddly enough, it was uh, just in November when uh, my wife and I made the decision that we were going to come here on a full-time basis, and we resigned from uh, Catch the Fire uh, New Market, which is a Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship uh, branch, and we resigned. I was the youth pastor, and she is a worship leader, so uh, we both sort of uh, resigned, and. It was within a week that Rob approached me, or I sat down with Rob and said, uh, Okay, I, uh, we're going to be coming up on a more permanent basis to um, this church, the Promised Church. And he says, Great, because I need for you to preach. I was like, Oh, great. I thought I was going to at least have a moment to be able to gather my thoughts, you know, process what's just happened, and. Uh, be able to uh, even relax or just reorganize my life. But I guess God had a different thing in mind. Uh, although this is only one preaching, uh, preaching thing, but uh, it's, it's funny how God works sometimes, right? So, all right. Um, anyways, getting to the point, what we're gonna do is we're gonna be teaching a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm the first of, how many would you say? First of four and uh, hopefully I'll do it justice and uh, not confuse you too much. Um, As a youth pastor, I'm used to speaking to the young people. I'm not necessarily as adept teaching to my peers, so I'm a little bit nervous, if you can tell, but hopefully uh, that will subside and we'll be able to make, uh, uh, well, hopefully the the spirit will will move and we'll be able to find some truths in what I'm about to say. So let's just open up in prayer, if we can. Thank you. So, Father God, we thank you that Rob is in your hands. And, Lord, we just pray right now that he is not crashing any cars. Um, those who don't know what he's doing, he is uh, hes m- supposed to be, be going really fast. So, Lord, uh, I know your spirit is probably still faster than that. So, just be with him. And uh, now be with us in this message that uh, is coming forth today, that you would uh, uh, allow the truth to come forth, that I would be able to... Um, put aside my own personal things and just uh, allow your spirit to work. And may our ears and attitudes be inclined to hear what you have to say in your precious name. Amen. All right. So we're going to be reading from and I'm not sure whether or not it's uh, I'm I'm in conjunction with uh Devin here because this going to be the first time I'm actually allowing somebody else to work the PowerPoint for me and I've got to make sure that as far as I know that he and I are on the same cue, right? So um, we're, we're gonna be reading from Matthew 5, 1 to 12, which is uh, based on the Beatitudes. And um, in this particular one, I titled it Being Blessed, but it's actually um, more than just being blessed. Um, basically, I have here that this is where Jesus is trying to say that our, we need a proper attitude to remain in relationship. With, the, with Jesus and the kingdom of God. And uh, Jesus, Jesus basically teaches that uh, the world's attitude can be contrary to the way the kingdom of God's attitude should be. To be blessed is slightly different than the way the world would want us to be blessed. And um, so our scripture reading, if it's able to be popped up, is uh, Matthew 5, 1 to 12. And, oh wow, yay. Okay, all right, Um, so I'll just read it there. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So, you can see there, there's a lot to be said, and it's a lot about blessings. And um, blessings can be an interesting word, very uh, vague at times, but very specific at the same time. Uh, you, the, the word blessing can be, kind of connotate a positive attitude, but it can be so much more, and it can mean different things to different folks. So this is where I'm actually going to invite you guys to participate at this point. Um, I think in the Sunday's message, in the sermon's notes, down at the bottom, uh, if you have the tablets, there's an option for you to be able to enter in questions, if you have questions. right? So I'm actually going to give you a question, and I'm hoping that you guys can put an answer in. Um, the question is, what does being blessed mean to you? Alright, and if you can answer that in that spot and just submit it, maybe we'll take it up at the end of the uh, end of the sermon and see uh, what insights you guys have as well. Okay, so you get to answer it in, and for those who don't have the tablet, uh, it's available on your phone if you have Wi-Fi, access to the Wi-Fi or data. I believe it's www.promisechurch.community and under the Sunday message uh, I think you you said that earlier under the Sunday message you should be able to find that option to enter in your uh, questions okay so I'm also going to do this I'm going to take the verses that we just read and break it down into three parts okay and this has been done before so it's not new um, part 1 will be from verses 3 to 6, part 2 will be from verses 7 to 9, and part 3 will be from verses 10 to 12. Now, I've heard somebody say it one time before that parts, uh, or verses 3 to 6 would be considered those who are on the road to repentance, and verses 7 to 9 would be those who have repented, if you will, and verses... Uh, 10 to 12 would be considered those who are persecuted for their faith. And I really like that. It's actually a pretty good one. And I, I think he's a very well known uh, writer or a speaker. And uh, I'm not really going to argue with him. The only thing I might say is I'm going to keep it called part one, part two, and part three because I believe the one, part one, it's possible that you may be in a difficult situation that's described in verses three to six and still be saved and not necessarily. Um, On the road to being saved again so you can be a christian and still suffer in those those areas if you will okay so anyways in verses three to six we have jesus saying blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are the mournful blessed are the meek and blessed are those who hungry or who are hungry and thirsty after righteousness and i guess they're quite interesting uh descriptions there and I don't know if any of you can see any commonality in it, in those 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 four descriptions: poor in spirit, mournful, meek, and hungry. And I was going to ask you, but I'm not going to ask you because I don't think I'm going to have enough time. What do you think is a commonality for those types of characteristics that are described in verse three and six? But I'm going to tell you, anyways, right here. It's uh, what I can see is that there's a lowly attitude for those people are in verses 3 to 6. They seem to be having an attitude, which is a very important thing to take note of, an attitude, a lowly attitude. And then there's also an attitude of humility. You guys can see that in people who are poor in spirit, mournful, meek, and hungry. Can you see humility in there? Probably. And there's one that I really resonate with. And um, I think my wife told me I should spit out my gum, so I'm going to spit out my gum. <laughs> so one second here. Thank you. Um, sorry about that. Um, in the Amplified version, the, the poor in spirit is, uh, is sort of defined by an Amplified version is another version of the, the Bible. And they use the word insignificant to describe what poor in spirit means. And I was going, wow, that's, that's really, really cool. I like that word, insignificant. It basically says, I'm not seeking, or I'm not in a position where I'm seeking a position. I'm not in a position where I'm seeking power. I'm not in a position where I'm trying to attain and keep control. I'm just poor in spirit. And, and this is where Jesus says, and it's contrary to the world, that, I, that the kingdom of heaven is made for people like that, contrary to what the world would want you to think, right? So that really resonates with me in so much that when I go back to read verses 1 and 2, it said that Jesus went up on the mountainside in verses 1 and 2. And sometimes geography or, or, or paints a picture for us. And A lot of people, when they read that verse 1 and 2, when Jesus went up on the mountainside when he saw the crowds, think that maybe Jesus went back and he retreated and withdrew. But that's not really what it said. He said he went up on the mountainside. And if you picture that, that means that Jesus probably went to be able to position himself to be able to teach the disciples who gathered around him. But it's also so that they may be able to hear him a little bit better. And... Possibly look out over the crowd and see who's in the crowd and if he needed to be maybe he was able to Project his voice well enough that some of the people who were not necessarily the disciples could actually hear him And I can't help, but think that people that were in the crowd at that time might have been Pharisees So Jesus is saying this it's not about position. It's not about place. It's not about control It's not about power. And you have the Pharisees that are possibly overhearing this. And he's poking them. I don't know if you've you've heard this, that Jesus and the Pharisees have had their run-in, right? If they don't have it now, they have it later on. And so he's almost seeming like he could be poking them and telling them, look, you like to walk around and pretend that you're all that. You like to have the power. You like to have, even though you're religious and you say you know God, You're missing the point. You're missing the point. It's about not being full of pride and not being uh, controlling and not running around and, and, you know, uh, getting people's attention. Look who I am. I'm a Pharisee. I'm the religious leader of the day. No, it's about the poor in spirit, those who are in need. That's what it's more about. So let's take a look at James 4. 6 and 7, and 1 Peter 5, 5 to 6. I'm not sure if we're able to pull that up. Oh, we got it. Excellent. We'll we'll, we'll just work with the the James one anyways. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Now, in this particular one, I'm going to focus particularly on God opposes the proud and gives grace to the... Humble. I'm sorry, I'm moving the mic up and down on you, and, and hopefully I'm not making it difficult. Um, <clears throat> he opposes the, the proud and gives grace to the humble, and I think he's, he's here trying to say that our attitudes are necessary here. To gain access to the blessings, we have to have an attitude of humility, insignificance, and maybe a lowly attitude. and. That is possibly what it's about. Now, the Old Testament talks about a covenant, if you will, or a contract. And this is almost what Jesus is saying here. Here's a contract, you have a proper attitude, you'll be blessed. He seems to be saying that. The Old Testament has a covenant or a contract as well that says, if you obey me in Deuteronomy, you will be blessed. But if you disobey me you will be cursed and that's essentially what it was like in the old testament so you obey god you obey his statutes you obey his laws he will bless you there's a term there's a, it's a king and a vassal and a king would offer the, pr- the protection to his subjects and that's what israel was supposed to be like to uh to god there god was the king and Israel was the subjects. He was the king, they were the vassals, and he would offer protection. But if they decided to leave and not listen, then he had the right to revoke his protection, and if need be, punish them. And that was the contract in the Old Testament. Jesus here is all of a sudden laying out another contract and saying, hey, if you have a proper attitude, I will bless you. Here's the contract, attitude and blessings. Now." There's a lot of things in common. The, optu- the option of an attitude in the Old Testament was always there. The heart attitude was always there. But the people of Israel seem to have understood it more in works related understanding. You do the work, you do righteous acts, you observe the law, and that would keep you in right standing with God. Jesus is trying to change that right now and say, it's your heart that I'm looking at. And in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, I don't know if we can grab that. Oh, well done. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. And I think this was actually one of David's brothers, if I remember the the story correctly. Because I have rejected him. And this is Samuel. I thought I turned off the volume on my phone. One second. It's probably appropriately timed it's under pressure um, um it says do not look at the uh, his appearance on the height of his stature because i've rejected rejected him for the lord uh sees not as man sees man looks at the outward appearance but the lord looks at the heart so the option of the heart being da- in, in the bible uh, as an option and god was looking at that has been introduced and echoed throughout the whole bible but Jesus says, this is now the point where it is very, very important. The kingdom of God now is come, and the heart is what I'm looking at, not your actions anymore. So there's something here that's being said, the contract about the heart, but there's something more. I don't know if you guys have noticed it, but there's something more about this contract that is different from the one that is in the Old Testament. And that is the option of grace. Jesus is saying here that I'm giving you a contract. If your attitude's in the right place, I will bless you, and you will have access to my grace. And it's about grace that this contract is really about. It's almost seeming as if he's saying, hey, I'm completing the Old Testament covenant and introducing the new covenant of grace right here at the very beginning of the sermon. And it goes on to be expounded more and more as we read time, uh, read in the, uh, as Jesus becomes more um, known and all his messages are taught all the more, okay? So that's pretty much what verse one is. We have here, um, the poor in spirit, the mournful, the meek, and the hungry we have a proper attitude. And when they have the proper attitude, they gain access to God's grace of that contract. And so for the porn spirit, which we could label as, what did I say here? Um, people who are insignificant. God gives them, out of his blessing, the access to the kingdom of God. And for people who are mournful, or another term that the Amplified Bible uses, um, repentant, people who are repentant, He provides comfort, and that could be deemed the Holy Spirit. He gives the Holy Spirit to those who are repentful repentant. And um, for the meek, he gives an inheritance. Now, I really like this one um, as well, because the meek are sort of gentle spirit. They'll say, fine, if you want to do this, do that. Fine, you want this, go ahead, do that. The very thing that they're giving up, in the end, they get back. So they're giving up the things of the earth, and in the end, when it's all said and done, they're going to get it back. So if you feel as if you're giving up things that you don't know if you should give up, or God is challenging you to give up something, don't worry about it. In the end, you're going to get it back. Right? That's, that's, that's the way God seems to work in the end. All right? And um, for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll be satisfied. So... He's given you this understanding that if you gain access with a proper attitude to his, to his grace, you'll, you'll get the satisfaction, the deep longing that you, you never knew, it's there for you. All right? That's the end of part one. Part two is... How am I doing for time? I don't even know. All right. Uh, part two is uh, verses seven to nine. And in verses seven to nine, we have the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers. Um... Does anybody know, can you see any uh, commonalities with the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers? Does anybody have any idea what a commonality might be before them? It's okay if you don't know. It's all right. <laughs> um, I don't know that I can give a, a, a very clear one either. All I just said is that the people who are merciful, pure in heart, and peacemakers seem, seem to be those who um, have responded to God's righteousness. They are people who have um, started a a walk of discipline and have a transformation in their life. And um, that's what I said they seem to have in common. Now, I don't know about you, but um, being merciful, do you think that's easy? Probably not, no. Uh, Maintaining a pure spirit, do you think that's easy? Probably not. And uh, being a peacemaker, do you think that's easy? Who's a peacemaker here? You're a peacemaker? And you're a peacemaker? Do you find it easy at times? You got options? If God helps. If God helps. That's true. Well, this is where Jesus encourages those people who are merciful to keep being merciful. And uh, he also encourages those who are pure in heart to keep being pure in heart, because it's not easy. And he also encourages those who are peacemakers to um, keep being peacemakers. It's not easy. Now, um, for Devin or whoever's doing the PowerPoint, I'm, I'm going to skip the next thing with the whole, OK? Um, and I think in their sermon notes there, it actually jumped and miss something, but uh, I'm on verse seven to nine um, peacemakers so, uh, sorry people who are merciful i often I, I think I might be one of them, but i'm i, I think I might struggle with that because when when I, I show grace to somebody and i'm merciful to somebody, they seem to want to take what little I give them and stretch it that far and stretch it that far um, and sometimes that can be trying, and you don't want to continue to do that. But God encourages us to continue to show mercy. And the same thing for those who are pure in heart. Again, I'll use my own example. I will go to the gas station to get gas. You know, maybe I've just listened to the radio station, some praise and worship music. Pull up to the gas station and pump gas, the and then I walk up, and I see a big, Red lights, seventy million. Oh, wow! All right. I know I'm supposed to trust you, God, but can I trust you to give me seventy million? And uh, I have that debate quite often when I go to pay for gas. And fortunately, I'm uh, well. I'm not going to judge. I'm just going to say that it's hard to be pure in spirit all the time, isn't it? Right? It, it takes a lot of work. And then for the peacemakers, that's a, another whole story. When you're a peacemaker, sometimes you have to deal with conflicts, right? You're, you're always dealing with conflict to try and fix things. And uh, it's so much easier sometimes to say, you know what, it's your problem, goodbye, and walk away, right? But no, he wants you to continue, uh, continue to, to, to be a peacemaker. But at the same time, sometimes seems things may seem all nice and good, but there's actually something stirring below and you as a peacemaker sometimes need to stir up the pot to be able to solve the problem and get to the root of things. So you're not only a peacemaker, but you're also a disturber to get to the point so that you can be a peacemaker, right? And then sometimes you just have to know when to just leave things alone and, and that sometimes can be hard if you're gifted at, at something, it's hard to put something down. So it's hard to be a peacemaker but God encourages you to continue to do so. And with you, if you have a proper attitude, then you have access to God's grace. So for those who are merciful, what does he do? He will give you mercy. So when, if you're like me, make so many mistakes, it's great to be able to have as much mercy as possible for all the mistakes that I've made. Um, For those who are pure in spirit, they get to see God. Now, I don't know, that in and of itself is a reward. You get to see God. When you're in the presence of God, you're transformed. And it reinforces itself. You're seeking to be righteous. You walk out, and then you get transformed. And you find God, you transform again. And it's just a rewarding thing to be in his presence. And the last thing is, um, if you're a peacemaker, you have an identity about you that is beyond this world. It says that you be known as children of God. And that means you have a new identity. So when you're out doing your peacemaking role, you can almost be like an arbitrator because you get to step back and say, well, I'm not of this world. Your problems are of this world. So let me offer you godly insight. Let me offer you godly knowledge. Let me give you a perspective that is different. And you don't get caught up because you have an identity outside of this world. You have a kingdom identity. You have a kingdom perspective. And your identity is born uh, from godly uh, things. And whatever people say about you, they don't have to stick because it's not who you are. Right? So you get the blessings from the grace of adoption. All right. So that was verses uh, 7 to 9, part 2. And part 3... Rejoice in persecution. How many of you have ever been persecuted? You know what it's like to be persecuted. We have a few people persecuted. It's it's not easy, is it? Not easy at all. But God says for you to rejoice. Were you happy to rejoice when you were being persecuted? No. Most of us probably aren't happy to be rejoicing. But you should be. Why? Because when they're when they're persecuting you, it's because they see. God in you. They see Jesus in you. They see that you are in the kingdom of heaven and they're jealous. Maybe the Holy Spirit has convicted them of something and it's because of Jesus or God in you. And you should be happy because why? They basically reckon you to be akin to the an heir to the kingdom of God. They reckon you as saved. They reckon you as a follower of Jesus and you should be happy that you've been recognized as that, right? That in and of itself should be something that you should rejoice for. Now, the other thing is it says that uh, you'll be likened to the prophets of old. And uh, the prophets of old, wow, what did they used to do? Uh, Used to call down fire from heaven and burn down altars. They used to stop rain from coming and then command the rain to come. Uh, prophets of old would probably, uh, uh, you know, allow wars to be won by just holding up hands, and and then and well, if you dropped your hand, in Moses' case, uh, they they lost the w- start to lose ground. So you had to hold up your hand. There might be a bit of an exercise involved with being a prophet. Who knows? I don't know. But um, prophets of old, you will be reckoned as that. But it seems as if if you're persecuted. What will happen is like a refiner's fire, the best comes out. The Holy Spirit comes on you and allows the power of God to be seen through you. You get to, you probably, and you're persecuted, if you're not afraid to, to stand, you might see the power of God at work. You might be able to have miracles happen, healings happen. Um, you know, you have words that you never knew could come out and save lives. And you would do that so rejoice when you're being persecuted but don't give up persevere and allow your light to shine at those times because when you're in a dark place and you let the light shine it shines so much brighter and um, praise when you're in a dark place praise god because um, i've noticed that whenever Things seem dark, and I take the chance to praise. All of a sudden, my attitude changes, and doors open. And perspectives that were maybe downtrodden all of a sudden become happy, and you enjoy again. Even though you're in the midst of a difficult situation, you get to enjoy things. So God says, with that attitude, persevere in your persecution because what are the blessings that you get out of grace? You see the power of God. You see glimpses of the kingdom of heaven that's here now. And in the time to come, you'll get to see the full splendor of the kingdom of heaven. And that will be awesome in and of itself. So that was the end of part three, and that's pretty much the end of my message. So I will... um, I thank you for listening. Uh, I do have a conclusion, but what I want to do is uh, maybe, if, if it's possible, has anybody given answers of what they think it is to be blessed? How am I doing for time? Good? Okay. Alright, so um, if we're able to pop up, maybe one, maybe two? Uh, Alright, so we have somebody here that says, to be blessed is to get better than what we deserve. We often think of blessings in material terms, money, stuff, etc. But God gives us uh, in so many areas that we don't always recognize. Love, family, opportunities, seasons of flourishing, unmerited favor. That, that is fantastic. That's, that's, that's perfect. Most of the time we feel blessed when God answers our prayers, but there have been many hard times when my prayers have not been answered. And the way I wanted and the blessing I've seen and felt is in knowing that whatever happens, God will never let me down and will support me in my fear and grief. Wow, that's true. You're seeing beyond the circumstances and understanding. I think if you, you were, whoever that is, I would say that would be in like possibly part two or part three, a little bit of persecution, but a lot of perseverance, awesome. Blessed are those who have their loved ones look out for them. I love that. I'm not sure um, who wrote that, but that, that, that is, yeah, your family, you can, they're, they're, they're irreplaceable. Let me just pause on that one. I, 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 I don't know if I have time for this, but I did write this at one point in time, and I said if I had time, i will do it. Um, I had an analogy, um, and my son plays basketball, and he's pretty good at playing basketball. And, um, so I wrote this analogy. Um, You might recognize the the flow. Uh, You're running late to your kid's important basketball game. A, you forgot the tickets at home and have to buy new ones at the door. So he's got a tournament, $20. You rip your pants scrambling out of the door to get to the tournament, $45. (laughs) You get a speeding ticket trying to show up on time 60 to 120 dollars, depending on how fast you were going, and two or three demerit points. Seeing your kids shoot the clutch three-pointer, game-winning bucket, before the buzzer, and looking at you with the, the, I told you I would do it, attitude. Priceless. Priceless, you got it. That's what it's like to have family. It's awesome, thank you so much. Is there another one? It means being able to acknowledge the grace given by God to experience the lessons that steer us in the right direction, receiving with a grateful heart all the good that comes our way, even in difficult times. I couldn't have said that any better. That's perfect. Thank you so much. With that, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and um, appreciate you guys listening to me. If I, ever, if I have some, something to say in conclusion, is this, that the, uh, the purpose of this passage is about how God desires to be with us. It's not about us, really. It's about how God desires to be with us. But it also shows how we can gain access and stay in communion with, with God and in His grace. And the last thing, if I'm gonna say anything, is this, that in this particular passage, the Beatitudes, and I have no idea what my phone is doing. The Beatitude is actually introducing the beginning of the New Covenant. You saw the old covenant where a blessing and a curse. And in this particular one, if I were to take anything away, I'm beginning to see that Jesus is starting his discourse on how the new covenant comes into play. And it's beginning to illuminate and show his contractual agreement with grace and our response to grace. So I hope that today we'll all be able to tap in a little bit more to his grace, to be able to endure to be able to persevere, and to be able to enjoy the blessings of God. Amen. Thank you.